chapter 19. John chapter 19 and verse 25. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. And he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour the disciple took her to his own home. Let's pray together. Father, we are thankful for these times to come together like this and to worship you, to ascribe worth to you, and offer you praise and worship and our thanksgiving. And we also come to receive a work of your Holy Spirit in our lives through your word. And we pray for that work of your Holy Spirit to occur through your word as we study it today. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. And Sunday mornings, we have been studying in the book of Jude. And while I know nothing in all of the world says uh, happy Mother's Day, like the book of Jude. I thought it might uh, be a good idea to shift to something a little different, and, uh, but I didn't do that unilaterally. I just uh, said, Lord, what do you want to do? It's a special day, and is there something you wanted to put on my heart? And the thought did occur to me just as a curiosity, and sometimes these things are rabbit trails that go nowhere, but I'm happy to go down them. But I thought, if, what if I took all of the passages in the Gospels that are recorded for us of every uh, interaction and overlap of Jesus and Mary in the Gospels, and would a, a portrait ultimately kind of uh, emerge as a result of that? And, uh, and uh, one did, and I did that, and, and I couldn't help but notice as I looked at those passages the beauty of motherhood as it is represented in Mary's life. And so I've entitled Mother's Day message, Jesus Had a Mother. But I don't want to talk about uh, her and talk about motherhood in the sense uh, of speaking to mothers. In other words, this is uh, the, what Mary was as a mother and are you being that kind of a mother or something like that. But to consider it from the vantage point of the child of any mother. And every one of us, of course, is a child of a mother. And to consider the beauty of motherhood and really the causes for joy and appreciation in every child concerning our mothers as we see them in the life of Mary and in uh, the mother of Jesus. And yes, of course, Mary's calling uh, by God to bring uh, the Messiah, to bring Jesus into human history. That was ex uh, extraordinary and unique in human history. But beyond that, in, in most regards, what was true of her uh, is equally true of every mother. I do think it's interesting to understand a little bit about the origin of this celebration of Mother's Day in the United States of America, in case you're uh, unaware of it. The celebration was created uh, by Anna Jarvis in 1908 following the death of her mother in 1905. It became an official U.S. holiday in 1914 
when uh, President Woodrow Wilson signed a measure officially establishing the second Sunday in May as Mother's Day. And Anna Jarvis, as she conceived uh, Mother's Day, uh, the intent was that it would be a day of honoring the sacrifices mothers made for their children. And her vision for the day was uh, something that anyone could afford, any, any child could do for a mother. And it was involved the wearing of a white carnation as a badge and visiting uh, one's mother or attending church services with her. And, uh, but once Mother's Day became a national holiday, it wasn't long before the florists and the card makers and all of the other merchandisers, uh, they uh, capitalized upon uh, its popularity. And I think it's uh, it, it fascinating to realize that in response to this, Anna Jarvis openly denounced the transformation of the day. And uh, she uh, uh, urged people to stop buying Mother's Day flowers and cards and, and candies. And by the time of her death in 1948, she had completely disowned the holiday uh, that she brought in, into being altogether and even went so far as to uh, actively lobby the government to remove it from the American calendar. Uh, she fought a losing battle, and uh, the National Retail Federation estimates that uh, for this year, Mother's Day spending in the United States will exceed uh, $28 billion. Uh, 72% of uh, shoppers will give a greeting card, 68% will give flowers, 49% will give a special outing, uh, such as a meal, uh, 35% will give jewelry, 25% will give uh, personal services, maybe something associated with a spa or a nail salon. And uh, this year, consumers plan to spend, on uh, average, a little bit over $220 uh, per person on uh, Mother's Day uh, items. Now, I kind of hesitated to mention this last statistic because some of us as children, we might feel like uh, cheapskates uh, here this morning. And then some other, uh, others, the mothers would feel like they're being undervalued. Uh, you know, they got a, a $5 card. But I, I think it makes the point that Anna Jarvis was trying to make when she came to try to lobby the government to bring an end to uh, the special day that she had brought into existence. That as wonderful as all of these material things are, and I'm not putting them down at all, don't misunderstand me, but from her perspective, and really from anyone's perspective, they can complicate the day uh, for mother and child in a way that she didn't want to have happen, that our appreciation for our mothers would then uh, end up being expressed supremely in a material way or uh, through material things. And she understood that the greatest gift that a child can give their mother is their love and their appreciation. And specifically for the sacrifices that she has made for them as their mother. And the fact of the matter is, is that what mothers want uh, at the core of all of it is just simply to be appreciated. And so they give so much. Uh, in my case, and for those of you who have mothers that 
uh, are uh, gone uh, from us here. They gave so much. And of course, the sacrifice can never really be repaid by a child. Mothers never expect that. Just an acknowledgement of the sacrifice and an expression of appreciation for it. And so this morning, uh, let's consider some of those sacrifices mothers make for their children uh, that are uh, really worthy of a lifetime of appreciation, and we'll look at them from the life of Mary. We think about the fact that Mary carried Jesus in her womb for nine months, and of course, that's what uh, any mother does with a child. And I would guess that uh, we don't think about it very often, but each of us spent uh, nine months in a womb in the course of our lives in our mother's womb. Some of you are having uh, a panic attack, a claustrophobia uh, related to that, but we did. Uh, nine months of every one of our lives spent inside of our mother's womb as we drew strength and nourishment in our life from her, and God used her womb uh, to mature us and to fashion us, and did it not for a day, not for a week, not for a month, but did it for nine long months. And I think King David described what happened there in that hidden place like uh, no one else in Scripture in Psalm 139 verse 13, for you, he spoke to God, form my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they are all written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. And so just to stop this morning and think about the fact that your mother, my mother, carried us for nine months. And of course, we don't ignore all of the joyful aspects of uh, of, that mark pregnancy for a mother, but there's also all of the aches, all of the pains, all of the discomfort, all of the morning sickness, and all that's involved as well. Uh, I'm a twin. I have a twin brother, and uh, we were uh, not little twins. We were both good size when we were born, and uh, my mother had to find someone to tie her shoes each morning. Uh, and uh, at some point in her pregnancy. And so, uh, what would you want to carry day and night for nine months? <laughs> Not much. And yet, she did it. And uh, she did it for us. And then, of course, Mary gave birth to Jesus, just as each of our mothers gave birth to us. And you stop and think about that. Each of us was birthed into this world uh, by our mothers. They gave us life, and then they brought us into uh, the world. And just to stop to think about that for a moment, about what's involved in giving birth to a child, what was involved in her part to bring you and me into this world, and to realize that she did that uh, for us. And if there's no other cause for gratitude in a child toward their mother uh, than these two things that we've talked about, however imperfect she might uh, have been going forward from uh, those two things, 
these are still a cause for deep gratitude for her and her sacrifice. And if as we continue through this list here concerning mornings, uh, uh, mothers here this morning, and you recognize nothing of your mother going forth and the rest of it, if she's done this and she did do it, uh, there is something, a very significant reason for giving uh, thanks for her. We think also about the circumstances Jesus, uh, that Mary gave birth to Jesus in. I think most of us know the Christmas story and uh, how Jesus' birth characterized by the words that have been made famous by the account in uh, Matthew's Gospel, Luke's Gospel, characterized by uh, no room in the inn, swaddling cloths, uh, and the manger. And I would guess that when most of us think about the lowliness of the scene of Jesus' birth, of the circumstances surrounding His birth, that we think preeminently of Jesus uh, in that scene. And so we should. Uh, but we should never forget about Mary uh, as well. Jesus was born in that scene. Uh, that is the single great truth of the scene. But Mary also gave birth to Him there in that place. And here I think about the sacrifice that's involved in motherhood, and more specifically on this Mother's Day, the sacrifice that your mother and my mother made for us and, uh, and uh, uh, in, in, in uh, being our mothers and in, in birthing us and so forth. Personally, I don't know of a more thankless and a more sacrificial calling and all of the world uh, than being a mother. And, uh, and, and that is true anywhere in the world, and it's certainly true in Western culture. All of the responsibilities that are involved, all of the sacrifice that's involved, to then raise children in a Western culture to adult life and then to be uh, virtually and comparatively forgotten by them. Uh, under the avalanche of the demands that come their way now as they enter into the early years of, uh, of adult life. And it's thankless, I think, not in the sense that expressions of thankfulness never happen, but in the sense that if they were offered constantly uh, to them, it would never approach or never make a dent in uh, the appreciation uh, that they are due for their sacrifice. Uh, concerning the material sacrifice alone involved in uh, raising us, it's estimated by the United States uh, Department of Agriculture, and who believes anything that comes from the government today, but I'm forced to quote it, that on average it will cost a middle-income parents, that is, that are making between sixty dollars and $100,000 a year, uh, that they will spend $284,570 to raise a child from birth to age 18. And that does not include college. So the food, the shelter, uh, the clothing, the medical care, and so forth. And just to think about it on even the most superficial level in terms of sacrifice, to think about what she might have been able to do with 284,000 plus 
if she had chosen to direct it uh, someplace else other than you and me and had directed it toward uh, herself. And we could spend all morning talking about the sacrifice that's involved in motherhood. And I certainly would be the wrong person uh, to speak about it, being a male and not being a, a mother. And, and of course, we would never scratch the surface uh, of that sacrifice because the sacrifice goes way, way beyond the material. There is the spiritual investment, the intellectual investment, the emotional investment uh, that is made, and the educational investment. That, but that emotional investment is just massive, and that this investment is real, and that this investment is indeed sacrificial, uh, is uh, uh, communicated in part by uh, the dark humor that can sometimes surround uh, motherhood. I was at a gift shop in uh, Sonoma uh, uh, about a year ago, and uh, they had one of those spinner racks where they had a bunch of coffee uh, cup coasters on there with things embossed on it, you know, sayings and that kind of thing. And I always gravitate to that stuff and just look at what clever things people have, have uh, written on them. One of them said, uh, I hate it when I think I'm buying organic vegetables, but when I get home, they're just regular donuts. <laughs> Another one said, I just saw some idiot at the gym put a water bottle in the Pringles holder on the treadmill. Another one went like this. Always remember that you are unique, just like everyone else. <laughs> Puts it in perspective, doesn't it? And for our purposes this morning, one said, I've decided not to have kids. The kids are taking it hard. <laughs> and uh, what mother doesn't know something uh, about that, at least in flashing moments in terms of a sacrifice and raising a child. And then we think about the visit of the shepherds on the night of Jesus' birth. Allow me to read it to you from Luke chapter 2. And so it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was said to them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then here's what it says about Mary. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God and all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. And so Mary's response, again, allow me to repeat it because clearly the Holy Spirit wants us to know what her response to it was. And, uh, but Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And in this, I, I think we see in Mary the incredible sense of responsibility that a mother feels in raising a child and in her unique role in the raising of, of a child. And you think about what an immense 
responsibility uh, that that is and the immense responsibility that she carries in that role and the immense consequences as a result. Uh, some of you are familiar, and I, I'll, it, this, all of this reminds me in terms of the responsibility. It reminds me of the poem in this regard, The Hand That Rocks the Cradle is the Hand That Rules the World by William Ross Wallace in the late 1800s. And I just want to read two stanzas from it. You might look it up later on, on the internet and read it, the whole thing for yourself. But he wrote, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, woman, how divine your mission here upon our natal sod. Keep, oh, keep the young heart open always to the breath of God. All true trophies of the ages are from mother love impearled for the hand that rocks the cradle is the hand that rules the world. Blessings on the hand of women, fathers, sons, and daughters cry, and the sacred song is mingled with the worship in the sky, mingles where no tempest darkens, rainbows evermore are hurled, for the hand that rocks the cradle is the hand that rules the world. And then we think about the presentation of Jesus at the temple at uh, 40 days uh, uh, old uh, in the city of Jerusalem and also found in Luke chapter 2. And this presentation of Jesus at the temple was required by the law of Moses concerning uh, children. Uh, and, and it uh, occurred after the, uh, the day of purification for the mother. A sacrifice was to be offered. And there was the acknowledgement of two things all at the same time involved with, with this. It was, number one, the acknowledgement on the part of the mother that she had brought a, a sinner into the world. Now, Mary did not bring a sinner into the world, but Jesus was going to fulfill the law of Moses. The other thing was the acknowledgement in bringing the child to the temple and to be dedicated in this way. It was the mother's and father's acknowledgement, the recognition that this child is a gift, I understand, from God and that this child is to be raised in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And this speaks uh, to me concerning Mary of her godliness and her commitment to raise Jesus according to God's Word. And if you have a Christian mother, a mother who raised you in the faith, then you should rise up and call her blessed every day of your life. The gift that we have been given by a mother who has endeavored to do that uh, in any way, however complete or incomplete, makes us very rich. As I said before, raising a child in secular culture is, uh, I think, the hardest thing that any parent or uh, any uh, mother is going to do in life, to raise them to one day become an asset to society, 
uh, to raise them uh, so that they can physically and emotionally and intellectually uh, engage the world and be uh, a productive human being. The only thing harder than that is to then, uh, beyond all of that even, is to raise a child in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And in order to prepare them for how to successfully navigate a fallen world spiritually. Because a mother has to do this against the very powerful stream of virtually everything against her in doing that within the culture. Uh, everything, it seems, about the media, everything, it seems, about government and entertainment and music and literature and public education and the massive amount of money that is behind all of these things, and we could go on and on with that list. They work to oppose her work and the work of her child to raise that child to be godly, not only under her care and oversight, but one day uh, in their adult life through all the days of their life. And so a godly mother is a cause for unceasing gratitude. It's interesting, too, that when Joseph and Mary dedicated Jesus there at the temple, they didn't offer a lamb as was required by the law of Moses because the law of Moses provided for an option to a lamb for the poor. And if they couldn't afford a lamb, you could offer two uh, turtle doves, uh, 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 two birds, as a, a sacrifice as well. And that's what they offered, speaking of kind of the lowliness of, uh, of their circumstances uh, materially, financially, and uh, certainly speaking of the fact that Jesus was raised in a very humble and simple home uh, materially speaking. And I think part of that in part was uh, so that he would be raised as the overwhelming majority uh, of children are raised in uh, the world uh, today. And I do want to say, mothers, never feel guilty because God has chosen for you to raise your children in simple circumstances. Uh, and in humble circumstances. God knows the value uh, of that. And children, whatever our age, it's important that we never look at that as have, having been a disadvantage uh, in our lives. And uh, it may uh, be so in comparatively small ways a disadvantage, but not in the most important ways in life. If you are or were raised in wealth, I'm not putting that down in terms of God's will for your life. But there are very great challenges to raising a child in, in those kind of, of circumstances that our culture blinds itself to. I can say personally, I am very thankful I was raised in simple circumstances materially. Uh, in, in so many ways. It was interesting, I was reading an article, oh, it's been two or three years ago, <clears throat> about Stevie Wonder, and, um, and Stevie Wonder immense the talent and the gifting and all that he, he had he has become uh, rich beyond description and all. But in the article, he happened to mention how thankful he was for the fact that he grew up in poverty. 
because there are things that are learned there that, uh, that are, uh, are very, very valuable. So not putting one down versus the other. God knows what He wants to call us to, but it is never a handicap in life. And, uh, and again, a godly mother is a cause for unceasing gratitude. Again, uh, uh, further, we remember the prophecy of Simeon concerning Jesus at that same dedication of Jesus. In uh, Luke chapter 2, verse 34, Simeon blessed uh, Joseph and Mary, and then he, he gave Mary his, his focus. He said to Mary, Jesus' mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your soul also uh, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. And here uh, we think about the heart pain. We think about the emotional pain that every mother feels in raising their child. Uh, and that our mothers felt in raising each and every one uh, of, of us. Now, of course, the pain that Mary uh, uh, felt concerning Jesus would be related to the world's treatment of Him, uh, and then the world's crucifixion uh, of Him, certainly not for any imperfections in Him, but all other mothers, and including Mary, concerning all of her other sons and daughters that were born to her and Joseph following uh, Jesus' birth, Jesus' half-brothers and, and half-sisters, uh, all mothers bear the pain of their child's imperfections, the pain of our imperfections. It's interesting to notice in Scripture, especially as you read through the book of Proverbs, uh, how often it is that uh, it is the mother who seems to bear the brunt emotionally of the failings of the, their children, even more than the fathers seem to as it's presented there uh, in Scripture. It seems that they carry the weight of it in a, a special way, more than the father in, in general uh, being connected to their children in a in what I think is a profound way. And, and it seems that generally they're more vulnerable to this than, than the average father. Maybe that's the best way to put it. Let me give you a couple of pro uh, Proverbs to, uh, to illustrate it. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 1. The Proverbs of Solomon. A wise man makes his father glad, but a foolish son is a grief to his mother. Uh, Proverbs 25, uh, 23, verse 25, Let your father and mother be glad, and let her who bore you rejoice. In other words, Solomon is saying, think about your mother before you do this. Uh, think about your mother, be, uh, 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 about what it would do to her, what it will do to her uh, if she finds out. And kind of the calling in the terms of the, the beauty of the relationship, the investment of the mother into the child, to take that into account in our decision-making. And as children, we need to know this about uh, moms, including our own moms. And then we think about the uh, events surrounding the family's visit to Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Passover when Jesus was 12 years old. 
uh, there in Luke chapter 2. The family was returning home with extended family, probably a whole uh, bunch of people that had traveled to Jerusalem from uh, Nazareth. All of the kids are playing and as they're making their way uh, back and as they made a, a day's journey from Jerusalem, Joseph and Mary realized they couldn't find Jesus. And so they went back into the city of Jerusalem, another day's journey back in there, and then a full day searching for him in the city of, of Jerusalem. And then they finally <clears throat> discovered uh, where he was as he had lingered there in the city. They found him in the temple involved in religious discussions with the rabbis there. And upon finding him in that place, she expressed her heart just as you would expect uh, that any mother would. And uh, uh, she declared, Son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. Well, that's very nice, New King James uh, way of putting it. I think the New Living Translation captures it perfectly. And uh, his parents didn't know what to think. And uh, his mother said <clears throat> to him, Son, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been frantic searching for you uh, everywhere. And I think only God and our mothers know what panic and worry uh, we produced in them while they were raising us to adult life and another cause for thanksgiving. We think too of Mary's interaction with Jesus, and this is very beautiful, at uh, the wedding in Cana of Galilee, when, uh, Jesus, where Jesus turned water into wine. And Jesus now, of course, is a, is a full-grown adult at this point. He's begun his public ministry. And the exchange, you might remember, between Jesus and Mary, uh, she brought the need to Jesus with the words, they have no wine. He responded, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. And of course, Jesus has no, uh, there's no disrespect or mistreatment uh, in, in uh, what he says to her at all, of course. It's just the reminder that now, as he does remind her, that now in his adult life, uh, these things had to be directed solely by God the Father now. And, and with a far larger picture uh, taken into account than that of a mother wanting to be of some help at a, at, in a wedding crisis. And Mary, she accepted the nudge back, the pushback, uh, so to speak, and she left it with Jesus. She told the servants, you might remember, whatever he says to you, do it. And then, of course, the rest is, is history. But we see in Mary here clearly uh, great confidence in Jesus. Clearly, she is proud of, of her uh, son. And when she asked him to turn the water into wine, one of the things that I love about that portrait is there's just a tremendous innocence in her life toward Jesus. She has no uh, uh, flinching on any level, no hesitation on approaching Him uh, at, at any level. She, she knows she's not running the risk at all that she is going to be disrespected or to be mistreated by Him 
uh, in any way. And that was just the kind of relationship that she had with him and that he had with her in turn. But Jesus did gently and carefully uh, nudge her back. And here I think we have the challenge and I think the beauty of a mother who uh, learns that her role must change in her child's life with their adult life. And how hard it must be to a mother who loves her child more than ever, but now has to accept a diminished role and influence in her child's life. And that's not easy. And to have made such a massive physical, emotional, intellectual, and spiritual investment into a child and then having now to step back and how hard something like that must be. And yet, like Mary, they do it and it makes us love them and respect them even more for this loving restraint that we know is sacrificial on their part because of how hard it must be for them. And I can only imagine how hard it must be. And this finally brings us now to our Scripture reading here in John chapter 19, verses 25 through 27. By the way, for those of you who are visiting, this, that was not an introduction. Uh, so we're con- concluding at this point with a final illustration. And so, <clears throat> here is Mary, <clears throat> and as we look at her this morning, uh, Mary as a mother at the foot of the cross of Calvary. And the perspective that Mary had of Jesus Christ upon that cross at Calvary is unique in all of human history. And you notice the context of the scene is given to us in verse 25 in those three words, by the cross. This is where this exchange occurs by the cross. And I wonder if it, 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 has there ever been more encapsulated uh, in three words in all of literature in, in human history. And what lay immediately uh, in that, those words, by the cross, what lay immediately behind uh, Jesus and all of the trials and the beatings that he had already endured uh, that morning. There he is on the cross. What has been immediately occurred just hours before that the, the, the took place. Then there was all that he was presently in the middle of. Uh, being crucified uh, physically, mentally, emotionally. The Jewish religious leaders Uh, not content with the fact that there was no more punishment that they could mete out upon his body physically. That couldn't satisfy them. That couldn't sate them. They had to continue to heap blasphemies uh, upon him and challenges uh, 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 upon him and assaulting his heart and his mind, the shaking of their head, calling on him to come down from the cross and then spiritually bearing the sins of the entire world. And yet to come in the middle of that scene, by the cross as He hangs there, uh, yet to come was death itself. And Jesus experienced death as fully as any one of us will. 
one day if the rapture of the church doesn't occur prior to that day. And you notice those two words, there stood. There stood Mary witnessing the horror of all of it. And here she finally experiences the fullness of what Simeon had prophesied concerning her over 33 years earlier, a pain in her heart that can only be described as a sword uh, piercing it. And you look at Mary at the base of that cross, and you see the strength of, of her there. You see the, the, the love of her there. You see the, the, just really the, the courage and the, the majesty uh, of it, and also the pain uh, in, in that picture of her. And it isn't true of, uh, 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 of a mom when, uh, and isn't it true of a mom when almost everyone else has forsaken us in life, she's still there. And there's nothing so sacrificial and so humbling as a mother's love for us. And almost nothing so faithful in a time of need in our lives than a mother's presence. And when Jesus, you see in verse 26, when Jesus therefore saw His mother, at some point He sees her there and the whole progression of I, is not recorded for us, uh, you know, what went on, who was allowed close, and at what times, and all of those things. But when Jesus saw His mother, and you think about what is contained in those uh, <clears throat> those words, and uh, only the two of them uh, could know those words, His mother. Jesus had a mother. And upon seeing her, Jesus then gave her His undivided attention, His undivided care. Again, you just stop and just try. None of us can. You just try to think about what He was in the middle of. And, and yet, He pauses at the sight of her. And you think about what love and respect and dignity and care He showed toward her in doing so. And how it would shame any failure on our part to honor our father and our mother. And what did Jesus say there on the cross? Look, Mom, I'm kind of busy. I'm kind of in the middle of an awful lot right now that I can't even begin to explain uh, to you, and I don't know why you can't see that or understand that. There's nothing of that there at all. What did He, uh, he said to His mother? Uh, Woman, behold your son. And pointing her to the Apostle John, and then to John, behold your mother. And here is Mary. Uh, nearly 50 years old at the time. She's widowed. None of her other children are Christians. And, uh, and, uh, and they will become believers in Jesus ultimately, but they are not yet. And so Jesus made sure that she would be taken care of spiritually, that she would be taken care of physically and materially for the remainder of her life. And Jesus knew about John, but He knew about the other uh, uh, apostles. And it would only be John who would die, uh, not die a martyr's death. He would live into old age. And so he would outlive 
uh, Mary and be able to fulfill this call uh, of Jesus upon uh, his life. And someone might look at uh, this account as you see it here in John, and you might complain about the lack of kind of expressed endearments on the part of uh, Jesus toward Mary at the scene. But it is important to realize that not every culture in the world, not then and not now, are as emo as our culture is. And if you expect Jesus to begin weeping outwardly and telling His mother how much He loved her, and then vice versa, like something out of a, a, a sappy romance novel, you don't find it here. And instead, you find a strong love, a love in which clearly each of them are secure and the love of the other person. And it is enough to realize the context of this encounter, the cross, and the fact that Jesus lovingly gave her His immediate and undivided attention in the midst of all of that, and then secured her future without which all of the words in the world mean nothing. All of the cards, all of the flowers, all of the meals, and all of the jewelry. And so I hope our brief time this morning has helped to remind us of so many of the beautiful things about our mothers that are a cause for unending love and appreciation in each of our lives as children toward them, whatever our age might be. And as wonderful as all of the other expressions of love for mothers uh, that have come to be traditional in the celebration of Mother's Day uh, here in the United States, the greatest thing that we can do for them is to just simply express our heartfelt gratitude uh, toward them and then to thank God for them, and then to pray for them. And I would just ask us to consider doing that sometime today, to give them thanks for all that was involved in being our mother, thanking God for her and how He worked through her in our lives, and then also to intercede for her in some prayer closet sometime today. And for those of us who our mothers are no longer uh, with us, to still take time today to thank God for her and how He used her in our lives. If you sit here this morning and you are not yet a Christian, we want that to be taken care of today on this Mother's Day in 2021. And there's going to be pastors and other men and women up in front immediately after the service. And we would love to pray with you to make Jesus your Savior and your Lord today to receive the forgiveness of sins and begin a relationship with God that will uh, be mark your life, this life, and throughout all of the life to come. It's a free gift that God offers to you. The consequences of rejecting it are most severe. But he offers you the gift today. Please uh, take him up on his offer of salvation.
today. We'll be up in front and would love to pray with you to do that. If you have uh, any need in your life for prayer this morning, they would love to pray with you and for you as well. Let's stand together now and we'll close in prayer. Father, we thank You for this portrait of Jesus and Mary in the Scriptures and, and how it primes the pump within our hearts for our mothers on whatever level or whatever it might be, the uniqueness of uh, each of those relationships. And I pray, Lord, for a work of Your Holy Spirit to just continue through what it is that we've looked at today into not only Mother's Day as a day, but deeply and wonderfully into the relationship that we have with one another as mother and as child. And then, Lord, for those for whom our mothers have gone into heaven before us and, and for whom we have no access to, or, Lord, for those who uh, uh, their childhood is not a, a, it was a difficult one, I pray that this time would be a time in which you would speak healing into their lives as well. And to stop and to consider in the midst of all of the messiness of the fallenness of this world that invades really everything in life, that there is a place to be thankful in all of it. And I ask and we ask for this work of your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.